Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Well, good afternoon, brethren. Thank you, Brother Ray and Sister Olivia, for this piece of music. Thank you so much. It was very good. It's always a great pleasure to appear before you, and you know the subject, you know the title of my message today, but it basically says that immortal soul of the resurrection. So before we start, before we get going, I want you to just scratch the first part, immortal soul, because as we just find out from the Bible study, there is nothing in the Bible who would give us a hint. There is no such a thing as immortal soul, so just stretch it out. Now, on the other hand, when you talk about the resurrection, the subject of, of resurrection in the Bible is huge. I won't be able even to touch, scratch the surface in my next whatever minutes, 40, 50, one hour. Just talk about this subject alone. We'll just touch it on the surface. And you know, if you're more interested into it, you can do your own homework and your Bible study at home and see it, how deep it is and how meaningful it is for us Christians. And you know, it's very interesting. Just a week ago, on Easter Sunday, thousands, millions of Christians will observe the most important day on the Christian calendar. They will say that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yet at the same time, if you ask these people, what's going to happen to them if they die? They will either say, we're going to go to heaven. Or we may go to hell. They celebrated the resurrection of Christ as a pattern to all of us. And they just forget about it. As soon as they ask them what's going on, they don't think about the resurrection in concept, what's going to happen to us. Whenever comes the resurrection, they think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. Once we move away from Easter, once we move away from Jesus Christ, we come back to this immortal soul again. When we die, we have immortal soul, and we're going to join Christ in heaven. That's it. That's it, what is on their mind all the time. But as we mentioned earlier, as Pastor Murray mentioned earlier, if that's our eternal reward, when we die, we go to heaven, what is the purpose for the resurrection? What is it? What is it for? When we die and we, go, and we join with God in heaven, I don't want to have any other body. What for? I'm with God. I can live happily ever after. So, you see, this topic is very controversial, and it's very much misunderstood in the Christian community right across the board. And debate over the resurrection have lasted a long time ago. We can go back in the first human beings that were asking the same questions like we learned today. What happened? Is there such a thing as a resurrection? Can we give you live forever? Even our Lord Jesus Christ participated in a debate that was kind of focused on Resurrection. I want you to look in your Bible. I want you to go and open the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20. And just right before his crucifixion, just hours before his crucifixion, came to him Sadducees in verse 27, who denied that there is a resurrection. So they came to Jesus and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies having a wife, and he dies without children, 
his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Verse 29. There is the hypothetical question, okay? Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children, and the second took, took, took her as a wife, and he died childless. Then the third took her, and the fourth and fifth and sixth, on and on till the seven. And verse 33. The question. Last of all, 33. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as a wife. That was the question, hypothetical question, and they were trying to catch Jesus on his words. But they didn't believe resurrection. And if you read some records, what a silly debate the Sadducees have with Pharisees about when it comes to resurrection. Questions like that, they would laugh at each other. Okay, if I was born blind in the resurrection, would I be able to see? If I was born without leg or I lose my leg or my hand or my finger, when it comes to resurrection time, in what kind of body I'm going to have? If I was beggar on the street, living in the mud, in the next resurrection, I'm going to be resurrected in the mud. So you can imagine all kind of these dirty debates were going on all the time. And look how Christ, how Christ answered this question in verse 34. Then Jesus answered and said to them, The son of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy, counted worthy, to attain that age and the resurrections from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So that's the first part. What Christ is saying is something very simple. In this age, as a mortal human being, we have to have families. Just to prolong life, we have to have children. We have to have a sexual relationship to have children. In the next age, Christ is telling them, if we're going to live forever, there is no need. There is no need to prolong our life because we'll live forever. That was one of his simple answers. Sadducees, who never believed that, you know, the resurrection word was never mentioned in the Bible, especially the first five book of Moses, they said, God never talk about the resurrections in the first five book of Moses. That's why they did, they did not believe it. And look how Christ says in verse 37. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And verse 38. For he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all left to him. Even though you might die, and you might be in your grave for thousands of years, as Pastor Moore explained, all your vital information is stored forever. God still has your name in his, in, his, in his mind, in his memory, and he can resurrect you, bring you to life anytime he wants. That's all the concept of Christ's, what Christ was debating here. And first Christians had the same problem, to understanding the concept of resurrection. And like, like you know, the scriptures we touched a bit today, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you will see the first Christian have the same problem to understand what kind of resurrection, what kind of body, how it's going to look like. First Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 35. So Corinthians here. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? 
So we have the same questions, all questions, the same questions as they have. In what body? How are we going to be raised up? How all this process is going to happen? So what are we going to do, brethren? Before we understand what the resurrection is all about, what we have to do, number one, we have to examine the only pattern that is in the Bible of only one person who was dead and was resurrected to life, eternal life, and that one person is only Jesus Christ. Happened other resurrections. But these people who were resurrected to life, they died again. So we can't compare this to this. We have to compare whatever happened. We have to look at the first resurrection that ever happened. We have to look at Jesus Christ first, just to get some understanding. Number two, we hope through all the Bible and see how many resurrections are going to happen. How many resurrections are going to happen? And the other important question with comes to this point. Are all believers in Jesus Christ raised in the first resurrection? Because there is so much confusion, you know. We talk about, you know, Sunday keepers and Sabbath keepers. We talk about people who have genuine heart. They go to Sunday keeping church. And we're confused. We say, like, you know, this good are so, these people are so good. They are so great. So we'll answer all these questions, okay? Point number three. What are the qualifications to be part of the first resurrection? And this is very important. And the last, last at the end, we'll put all these pieces together. And it's amazing, you know, what's lie ahead for all of us in the future. This subject is amazing. But before we start, let's establish the starting point like Pastor Murray said, okay? We believe in the Bible. And I'll show you something else. Go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Because all the debates about the resurrection, everything when it comes to the Bible, starts here and it ends here. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. And look what Christ said. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, listen to the wording, all authority, not some, it says, all authority has been given to me, where? In heaven and in earth. He's got all authority, whatever is happening in the spiritual world, and he gives us all the authority, whatever happened on our existence, on our physical level. That is given right here. If you believe in the Bible, that's what it says. We can debate that. So let's see what we can write from Jesus Christ. Okay? Let's cover the first point. Let's go to John chapter 20. Let's happen to how Christ looked like, how he behaved when he was resurrected. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And verse 26. John chapter 20 and verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, and the doors being shut. That's the first clue. Door being shut, and Jesus appeared, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, another, another clue, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my sight. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. So at one instance, Christ could just pass through the wall, just like that, at the snapping of the finger. On the other second, he says, touch my body. Can you see my crucifixion wounds in my hands, in my sight? Look at this. That's something unbelievable. Cross to the wall and look at my wounds. Something spiritual and something physical here. Let's keep going. John chapter 21. 
Verse 12. And Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the the disciples there asked him, Who are you? Knowing that it was Lord. It's not only can appear a shoulder in the woods. He said, Come, let's eat breakfast. I thought that spiritual body, spirit, cannot eat food. Christ was able to eat food. What's going on here? Let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And verse 31. Then their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. So he walked with them, they could talk to him, they could do everything with him, and suddenly, as they recognized who Jesus was, he just vanished at the second like this. And just go to the scriptures that Brother Ray asked. Verse 36. Now as they said this thing, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you, again. And look what he says here. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they see, that they, they, they had seen a spirit. Christ called for a distant hearers, and so many Christians missed this point. But Christ spends verses here to, just to explain, look at me how I look like now. Okay, He says, why are you troubled? And why, and why do you doubt, doubts arise in your hearts? And he shows them again, behold, my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Okay, Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you have, as you have seen, as, I, as you see I have. You see? And people look at this thing and say, you know what? But Christ doesn't mention blood here. Okay? I don't know why it's so important about this thing. But, you know, there are a few points that we can see here. Christ at moment, at his will, could cross the wall, could do all these things that would pertain to spiritual body. At the same time, he could be transformed and have a physical body and enjoy the supper, the food, and everything else and show all his disciples as a proof of his crucifixions that, you know, that's my body. So thinking, why would something like that happen? Why would something else happen? Let me tell you. In the future, in the resurrections, all the first people who will be resurrected in the first resurrection will have the same ability what Christ had here at this moment. They'll be able to serve God in his heavenly realm. At the same time, they'll be able to come back to this planet Earth and serve countless of Christians, or everybody who will be resurrected in the second resurrection. Just as well, just like this. And I will show you. I will show you. Go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We not fully understand this concept. We not, I, can, I cannot grasp how my resurrected body can look like. But if you go to 1 John chapter 3, and verse 1, John is writing here, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Verse 2, Beloved, We are now children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know. We are for sure. We know this one thing, that when when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. Whatever Christ had, we'll experience the same thing. We'll have the same body. We could appear all over the place. We could have... 
We could appear in the spiritual realm, and we can also appear in the physical realm, just like this. In the twinkling of an eye. Snapping of a finger. Okay? And that's the most marvelous thing that is here in the scriptures. Christ was not limited just to the physical world. Christ was not limited just to the spiritual world. He could cross anytime he wanted. And pick and choose anybody he wanted to have at the moment. I want you to share a scripture. It's about a prophecy. And I was wondering about the scripture for years. What it can mean. And I was doing my study about this resurrection. And fit so perfectly. You might not agree with me. We can talk about it later. But just go to Ezekiel chapter 44. It's not just the New Testament that is preaching. Something like that. Ezekiel chapter 44. So there is a great debate. This temple that is mentioned here in Ezekiel. Is there a physical temple? Or is it a spiritual temple? I, for some reason, I just have a hard problem to believe that there is a need for a physical temple. Just from the study of the book of Hebrew, if Christ is the high priest, he sacrificed his life, the blood was spilled, I said no any needs that God will ever, ever want to have a physical temple and start all over with the, you know, with the animal sacrifices. That's just my opinion. Ezekiel chapter 44. And I want you to look at verse... Let's speak of this, just, you know, break into the context in verse 10. It's going to be speaking about, and the Levites, just listen to the context. And the Levites who went far from me, when Israel went astray, who strayed away from, from me after their idols, they shall bear the inequity. They done. They dead. Okay? They dead. But they shall bear their inequity in one way. Verse 11. They shall be ministers in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house. And they shall, they shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifices for the people, and they shall stand before them to minister to them. We might think that he's talking about the physical sacrifice and all those things that's going on. But listen to the context. Verse 12. Because they ministered to them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into inequity. Therefore, I have raised my hand in an oath against them, says the Lord God, that they shall bear their inequity. In what way? Verse 13. They shall not come near to minister to me as priests, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abomination which they have, have committed. I think this thing is speaking about the second resurrection. You know the temple of God? When it was the outer core and the holy of holiness, the high priest could only enter the holy of holiness at least once a year, but they could enter it. In the, in the, in the most holies, they were, they were doing their daily routine every single day. And you know, God is saying here that this priest will not have access to the holy place that will serve me in the outer court, okay? Outer court, outside, close from me personally, okay? Look what happened to the other set of priests. Verse 14. Nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple for all its work and for all it that has to be done. And now it's switching to the others. But the priest, the Levites, the son of Zadok, they were all died. 
But this time with Ezekiel was writing this book, okay? They're all dead. Who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me. They shall come near me to minister to me. And they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, says the Lord. Verse 16. They shall enter my sanctuary and they shall come near my table to minister to me. And they shall, and they shall keep my charge. And verse 17. And it shall be, whenever they enter the gates of the inner court, they should put on linen garments. They'll be able to switch from one body to the other body, just like that. And by the way, if you go home, if you want to do a little homework, just go on a Google and just type it there, linen in the Bible, and you'll see what a different property linen's got over the wool. And you would be amazed. Just, just type this and do a little research, okay? Linen, how important it is and what it symbolizes, okay? It says, No wool shall come upon them while they minister with the gates of the inner court or within the house. So basically, when you read all, all over this place, the other verses, like in verse 19, it says, When they go out to the outer court, to the outer court, to the people, they shall take off their garments in which they have ministered, leave them in the holy chambers, and put on other garments. So what he's saying here in Ezekiel, they'll be able to switch. When they minister to God, they'll have the linen garments, and linen garments, something that we have to put on, immortality we have to put on, they have the linen garments when ministering to God. Once they leave the God, they go and minister to people. They have the woolen garments, which comes from animals. Linen comes from the plants. Go and research. Linen and wool in the Bible. You'll be amazed what you're going to find. Just as a homework, okay? So I'll just leave it like that. You know, if you want to discuss later, going to have a debate with me, sure. Just, we can do it later. So what is so special about this group of priests? You see, one of the group have the authority to move anywhere. It's just the matter of switching the garment. They can come to the Holy of Holiness, and they go to the people and meet people in the outer garments, in the, other, in the outer court. The other, the first priests, who were, dis, who, who were totally disobedient, God says, they will serve me, but outside the inner court. They won't have access, direct access to me. So, if you want to think about the resurrections, the one will have a part in the first resurrection, the other will have a part in the second resurrection. That's what I see in the Bible here. So, as I said, the wool, research is on wool, it comes from animals. Linen comes from the plants. And it was amazing, I don't remember the wording about the property, something of the linen, but I think I mentioned to my wife. Many sites suggest that, you know, that how much the recovery ratio of six people of sick people would be so much higher, faster, and better if hospitals would use the linen, the linen uh, bed covers. Linen in itself has a healing properties that wool is like thousands of thousands lower than the linen. It's amazing. Just go and do the research. So now, if you believe that we have immortal soul, which we we know and understand that we don't have. So basically, if we have immortal soul, basically, then when we die, it's not over. It's just another step into our next life. We die, our body dies, and my soul just, you know, flies to heaven. And I'm happy. I'm blessed. So that actually is a reward. I don't have to suffer anymore. I don't have to feel this pain. I don't have to get up in the morning anymore. And I don't have to go to bed so early I'm not tired, it's just, forget about this body. Now my soul is free. If that's all the point, 
that something is wrong with the Bible. I will show you. Go to Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 26. 26. Look what Paul is saying here in verse 26. If that's the end of it, okay, if we have immortal soul, then verse 26 it says, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Death in the Bible is always portrayed as enemy, never as our friend. Death is part of life, but it's not our friend. That's where we died. Our existence ceased to exist. That's it. No more. No more. But God had a better plan. So let's look about this. how many resurrections we have in the Bible. Let's look at the second point. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20. And let's analyze all these texts that we have in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they said on them, A judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast of his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads and on their minds. And they left and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. So this is the first resurrection. And John is very specific. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be, what? Priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. John is the only writer in the Bible who mentioned this term, first resurrection. No one else mentioned this term, first resurrection. So, if there is a first resurrection, at least we have to assume that there will be second. At least. And there is also a time period. First we happen ahead, then the other one. Right? So, we can also conclude that these people who are described here in verse 6, they said they are blessed and holy who will take part in the first resurrection. So, we can also assume that no unbeliever has any part in the first resurrection. Right? We can safely assume that's what the Bible describes. So, let's talk about the second resurrection. Verse 11. The same chapter. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which are written in the books. So, 
The second resurrection is a picture of a great judgment where all people who did not have part in the first resurrection will come up later, right? As we can assume from the text, just right away. Okay? Now, it's also very important. There are two sets of books mentioned here. The one is called the books, the books, and the other is called the book of life. It's very important. It's also very important that these people will be judged but what is written in the books. And there are many speculations what the books can mean. Some say that the books are the records of every deed done by humanity. Some people say that teach that God keeps a record book of each person in the world. So you can make up your own mind and opinion whatever you want. But I think that's I think that's unfair. And I think that books, what it means, is just the book of law. That's this book. That's this Bible. And I will show you why. If you go to the court of law, the judge, he doesn't keep a book of all your records. The witnesses will come and accuse you. And if you are condemned, he will just render the proper judgment according to the crime that you did. That's why we need the books by which to judge people, what they commit. So I don't have to worry what God's going to say about me, because I know that, let's say, Sister Lisa or Sister Marlene will come up and say, you know what, John did this to me, and he did this to me, and he said this to me about me, and I have a witness, and witness is this sister and the other brother. There'll be a witness. Witnesses before God. God would have to event, you know, render up according to what I commit. Just to prove my point, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 12 and see if that would agree with what actually Christ said to the Jews. Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. And in verse 41, Christ is telling them, it says, The men of Nineveh will raise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. See what I mean? These people raised up and condemned the Jews who were living at Christ's time because they didn't believe. And in verse 42 is the same thing. The queen of South will raise up in the judgment with this, with this generation and condemn it for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. So God doesn't need to keep every record of every single sin that we have committed. We'll have enough witnesses to testify against us. Now, there are many scriptures that relate to the resurrection. And people are confused. Is the scripture talking about the first resurrection? Or is the scripture talking about the second resurrection? Or is the scripture talking about both? I'll give you an example. And it's very important to know what the resurrection the Bible speaks about. Go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And in verse 28. Christ is saying in general language. He's saying, do not marvel at this. John 5 and verse 28. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the grace will hear his voice. All of them. 
and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. My question is, what, what resurrection is it? can't be the first resurrection because evil people don't rise in the first resurrection. So Christ is talking about the second resurrection, right? Would you agree? When you look into this text, because you see it says both good evils, both evil and evildoers and good are, are raised here in this resurrection. And both evildoers and good people are raised at the same time. It says in an hour, that's not 60 minute period, but just says a time period. It would suggest the same time period that they are raised. The primary difference here is that the good will be raised to life, while the others will be raised to judgment. Judgment. So this cannot be the first resurrection. Why is this important? Not every believer, because they proclaim Christ, or they say that Christ came into my life, will have part in the first resurrection. And many people will be disappointed. And I'm not just speaking in general, let's say the Sunday keeping people. I'm speaking especially about the Sabbath keeping people. Many people think they will be in the kingdom. And you know, maybe some of us will not make it to be in the first resurrection. Let's go to Book of Acts, just to support my point. What Paul was saying about two resurrections. Acts chapter 24. Book of Acts chapter 24. Verse 15. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. The same language, like in John chapter 5. The same language in the same pattern we observe. Both good and evil are resurrected at the same time. Just exactly the same pattern as we observe in John chapter 5. Why all of this is so important? Once we understand the distinction between these two categories of resurrection, the first resurrection and the second resurrection, it is so easy to go through, navigate through the Bible, and especially when you come to the Old Testament. And there are so many prophecies about Christ. And you can see if Christ really talks about, if the Bible really talks about the first resurrection or the second resurrection. It's easy. It's easy to sort it out. More importantly than that, we can learn what is required to be the part of the first resurrection. What is important is just we learn through all this our study what we need to have, what you need to master. To be part of the first resurrection. And I want you to go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. You want to be a part in the first resurrection. Just read these verses carefully. Luke chapter 12. And let's start with verse 35. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. We can't hide a light. We need to be a light on the hill. We have to be proactive. We have to do whatever Christ asks us to do. Verse 36. And you yourself be like men who wait for their master. When he will return from the wedding, 
that when he comes and knocks, they might open to him immediately. So these people who will pardon the first resurrection, they will be constantly busy, staying busy. The cares of this life will not affect the way how much they serve and wait for Christ. They will be fully committed to God's work. It's not like, eh, I will do it tomorrow. Eh, I'm so tired, I will do next week. No. They are fully committed. And in verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. So basically, when Christ comes, 100 years, 200 years, 1,000 years from today, if we just keep doing whatever we're doing, doesn't matter how much we understand prophecy or we don't understand the prophecy, if we're doing the God's work, when he comes, we'll be just busy doing Christ's work. Nothing's going to surprise us in this life. Assuredly, I say to you, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. You see how important it is? Christ himself will serve you when he comes so happily that you are doing his work, that you are doing his job. Just remember what we did before the Passover when we washed each other's feet. What a humble experience that was. And remember the story when we read the passage in Luke when Christ says, oh, I desire, I fervently desire that I would eat with you. But he couldn't. He had to go away and he says, but I can't wait. When he comes back, I'll have the same supper with you again. And he says, I will serve you. I will serve you. On myself, I will serve you. That's how important it is. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And verse 41, Peter always had a question, right? Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And Christ kept going and he says, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward? Who is the, what kind of people is that? Whom his master will make ruler over his household. Ruler over his household. Will be a servant who will not just accept the rules, God's commandments, but... He will also, he keeps reading, he says, to give them their portion of food in a due season. Blesses that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So that's the first people who want to have access in the first resurrection. Just to make this point clear, hold your place here in Luke. Hold your place here and go to Mark chapter 10. Hold your place here, go to Mark chapter 10. Just to clarify exactly what Christ was talking to them. Okay? Mark chapter 10. And in verse 40, 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them. And this is very important. There is something. Some characteristic for people who have part in the first resurrection. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentile. Lord, lorded over them. And their, great, and their great one exercised authority over them. Verse 43. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life ransom for many. That's an example. That Christ lived for all of us. He just gave it to us. How we should behave. So go back to Luke chapter 12. 
So what we, what we, what we're learning from this few little passages here that we can look in Mark, what does it say? That this wise steward is somebody who has learned how to be a good servant, who can abide by the loose rules of the household, and who always constantly will do the will of his master. And the most important lesson that this, that this you know, that, that this steward learned is to be learned humility and agape love. Humility and agape love. Let's see the other example. If you don't want to be part of the first resurrection. Verse 45. But, there's the opposite. If that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk, so basically instead of serving, he wants to be served. Instead to be a greater servant leadership, now he wants to be enjoying all the riches of the world. Okay? The master of that servant, verse 46, will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour when he is not aware. And he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion. So this believer, right? That's what it says. This servant who knew this master will. He will have part in what portion with what? The first resurrection or the second resurrection? He will come up with unbelievers. Even though he might think that he's good. He accepted Jesus Christ into his heart. But he didn't know the will of his master. He will have part of the second general resurrection. And verse 47. And that servant who knew his master will and did not prepare himself to do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did, who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripe shall be beaten with few. If you know the will of God and you know all over in God's church it's happening all over again. Some people think that you know as long as I'm, I'm going to postpone my baptism, if something happens, I'm not be liable for that. But once you know in your heart what is God require of you, you're already liable. It's not the time of the, when you're going to be actually the date and time and hour you're going to be baptized. As long as you know the will of the Father that God speaks to you, if you don't act on that, you're guilty. Not when you're baptized. Okay? And it says, people who didn't know much, they'll get their rewards. But they'll just get a few stripes. And you are no, And you are negligent. You'll get, you'll get many stripes. So you see, what the other steward? What's so about the other steward? To me, this guy looked like a guy with a big head and a little small, small heart. That's what it looks like. He wants to have all authority. He wants to, he wants to you know, he wants to be chief in command. He wants to have servants. Serve me. Give me meal. Give me death. I want to be served. I want to get drunk. I want to enjoy this part of this life. I want to have all of it. All of it. Christ is not coming. Who knows when he's going to come? We've been waiting for over 2,000 years. He might come tomorrow. Maybe next week. Who knows? But let's enjoy our life. And maybe when I get older, maybe I'll get serious. So that's the second. That's the second steward here. We don't want to be like that. Just flip over. Luke chapter 14. Luke 14. And verse 12. A little bit more, more explanation of what, we what we've been saying so far. 
Verse 12. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, no rich neighbor, lest they also invite you back, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, verse 14, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. See the Bible talking about the first resurrection. Eat! And brethren, that's not about, you know, open your door and inviting all the homeless people. That's not what he's saying. It's go deeper. Deeper than that. This is the, what is Christ saying here? We have to have this principle of grace, of agape love, the highest form of love, which, is of, which comes from God. And this mature love that, let me tell you something, that very few of Christians would ever attain. Very small number of Christians were attained this agape love, which would qualify them to be the part of the first resurrection. And this love, agape love, just give grace to undeserved people. It's selfless. It's just giving. Always give, give, give. They don't worry. They never ask about my rights. Oh, by my right is this and this. They never ask that. Christ never asked about his right. He came to serve, and he even died for his people. So, brethren, I hope that I made the qualifications for the resurrection crystal clear, not for all of us. Now, let's cover the next point. Let's put all these things together. We're still talking about the resurrection, okay? We're still talking about the resurrection. Let's look at the order of things. The blessed day that we obtain this blissful moment. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's start there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But now Christ, now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by men came death, by men also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, all die, there is not a single soul that is in heaven or in hell. They all die, okay? Even so in Christ, all, all shall be made alive at different times. But all, no exceptions, all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards, those who are in Christ at his coming, and then comes, verse 24, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power. And these two verses, the last verses, brethren, that's probably about thousands of years of human history. Two single verses, what Paul just gave us here to the Corinthians. 
What's the proper order of things? Christ is the first fruits. He's the wave ship offering that was already accepted. Something that we celebrate last Sunday. As, as Pastor Agent mentioned today, today is the first Sabbath on the count of Pastacon. First of seven. We have six more to go, 50 days, so we're going to celebrate the Pentecost. What is Christ doing right now? He's trying to assemble and gather all the first fruits, the first harvest that will compose the holy spiritual temple. And as you know from the scripture, like you don't have to go there, but you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 3.16, when it says that we are God's temple individually, and Holy Spirit resides in us on an individual level, I want you to show what Peter says about it. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Because there is something happening on the corporate level. As well as individual. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. Coming to him as the living stone rejected indeed by men, by chosen by God, and precious. And verse 5. You also are living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are right now at this process, what Christ is trying to accomplish. He's looking for a first fruits. He's looking for a people who will acquire this quality that we just learned. And these people will go through everything. Through trials, through tribulations, through death, through persecutions, to everything. Just to see what is in their hearts. Just to see what is in their, how they're going to react. When these people are going to come up in the first resurrection, there will be nothing, absolutely nothing. They can, they can throw them away from their course where they're going. Christ needs to rely on people who are going to come up in the first resurrection. One will die for each other just to be a part of this first resurrection. Okay. Now... As Christ is building this, and he's the chief cornerstone, as, as, as Peter was writing. In Ephesians, you don't have to go there, but you can put in your notes. Ephesians 2, and verses 19 and 20, 22, it says, The temple is built with the living stone upon the cornerstone. And he also says about the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. That's another portion. Christ is the chief cornerstone. Based, and based also on the apostle doctrine and the prophets, we are all raised collectively as a one holy temple. And once Christ collected, once Christ built this holy spiritual temple, something miraculous is going to happen. And we have to go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Once this process is incomplete, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And verse 15. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, but here comes the end, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, there is order of things, will by no means proceed those who are asleep. So the dead will be raised first. And Paul said the, the same thing. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and guess when that is going to happen? That's the first day of the, of the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar, of the God's calendar, which is the Feast of Trumpet. God works on time. Everything happens on God's timing. 
And nothing happens just because of our will. Everything happens because God wills and God wants something. And the dead in Christ, dead in Christ, will rise first, and verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with this word. And there is a powerful word here in verse 17, which so many Christians mis- misunderstand, which is said, caught up. And you go to the, when you go to the Greek word, what this word means, it's harpazo. And we can talk about the, you know, if you have some questions about raptures and something like that, because that's from this scripture, this from this one single scripture, people will preach rapture of the church, which is a total nonsense, but we can talk about it during our fellowship. But what is, what is, what is Paul saying here? As a, as a physical body right now, we can be attached to a spiritual head who is Christ. So one day, we're going to meet in a neutral territory, which is in the air, when the spiritual head will be joined with spiritual body. That's how we're going to function together as just one single temple. That's what Paul is saying here, okay? And go to 1 Corinthians 15, because that's not the end of the story. We have to finish with Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. And verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, you see, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. As long as we live in this body, we can never meet the Lord in the air. Because God needs to destroy the corruption that still exists in our body. That's what we have to meet in a neutral place. It's not that we're going to be caught up to heaven or somewhere there. No. We're just going to meet there. We're going to be attached as a body, collectively, with the head. Verse 21, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment. And look at this Greek word. Moment. When I found it, it's just, it just so amazing. The Greek word for this is A-T-O-M-O-S. Atomos. Where we get the English word atom. The smallest particle that exists, which builds our body. And what is God saying here? That this will be changed in our atoms. Just like that in a twinkle of an eye, if you are alive at this time. So we can also join our brethren who are dead and are joined with Christ in the air. What a powerful statement. What a wonderful statement. So we see, the Bible, whatever you go, whatever you read, Whatever letter it is, whatever gospel it is, whatever testament it is, it never speaks about immortality of the soul. Wherever you go, it's always talking and speaking about the resurrection. And brethren, this last moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that we're going to be changed at the lowest possible level, that our atom, when we're going to be changed, that's the moment where we're going to be born again. It's not happening right now because I said Christ and people say, oh, I'm a newborn again Christian. No, really, if you, you, you sin, you still do crazy stuff, 
You can be born again as long as you know you stay in this body. No. At this moment, in the air, when we're going to be changed, if you are alive, that's where we're going to be born again. Not sooner, not later, at this exact moment. So, brethren, in conclusion, I told you, we're just going to scratch the surface. Okay? If you want to know more, you have to do your own homework. But there is plenty in the Old Testament as well in the New Testament. Plenty of other scriptures. In conclusion, just imagine for a moment all the scriptures that you read about Jesus Christ after his resurrection. Time for you is no longer a matter. Okay? As much as we have to waste our time, some of us traveling distances to get to a church, when you have this new body as Christ had, we'll be able to you know, go from place to place just like this. In the twinkling of an eye, and we'll be there. It's not only that. We can enjoy the finest dining and drink the best wine and enjoy with our brothers and sisters who have part in the second resurrection. All these wonderful things that will happen if we, if we make it in the first resurrection. But brethren, it's not an easy way. As we read in Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 14, to have this, to master this sacrificial love for one another and for also other people, it takes lots of hard work and preparation. And, you know, I've been telling these people all along, like, you know, when you have our children, at this early age, we have to present them with lots of commandments. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And God does the same way with us. When you, cry, when you come to Christ, God is showing at us a lot of commandments. We have to study his law, we have to study his commandment, what not to do, what we shall do. But one day, we are maturing. We're growing up in faith and knowledge. And as we grow up, we no longer need the commandments because it's in our way of life. It's on a daily basis. We don't have to remind each other what we should do or what we should do. And it comes to a point that when it comes a Sabbath day, you don't, say to, you don't say to brother, I need to go to church because I am commanded to, or I don't eat this food because I am commanded to, I don't like to brother because I am commanded to. You just don't do this thing. You go to church because you love God and you love your brothers. And whether your feelings will never ever affect your decision-making process because it will be in your heart. I love to go because I love to share. I love to go because I love to, you know, I love to serve my brothers and sisters. And that's what it is. So it's a way, long way to go, but I pray that brethren, one day, all of us, this little family, will all meet each other in the air with our Lord and thousands, maybe millions of others who died before us. May God bless you, brethren. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org. Thank you.